As Jennifer mentioned to the children, we're, we're in this 40-day season called Lent. It began on Ash Wednesday when many of us gathered here together to receive the marking of ash upon our head as a biblical sign of repentance. Ashes are always in Scripture uh, connected to the concept of repenting and turning towards God. Lent is a season of discipline. Uh, where we focus on our need for God and focus on his, his need, how he meets us there when we come seeking him. But I always tell people to be mindful in Lent of our disciplines. Remember, your Lenten disciplines are not about self-improvement. They're not about showing how strong you are. But in fact, they're about showing how weak we are and how much we need Jesus. And our disciplines are to be, make us mindful of our need for him in all things. So during the season of Lent and worship, we're going to be in a series we're calling Follow Me. We're going to be looking at different individuals and their encounters with Jesus. We're going to look at what, what, they, what happened when they, when, when they encountered Jesus. And one of, across Scripture, there are different commands that people give or get. So for instance... In Scripture, universally, when someone encounters an angel, the first word the angel, the angel always says to the people they encounter is this, do not fear, do not be afraid. Now, we don't know what angels look like, but kind of culture has got us conduced, con- convinced to think that angels are like naked little babies with like arrows and things. In the Bible, the angel's first words are always, do not be afraid. So they must be something amazing to see if that's always the angel's first word. But one of the commands that Jesus gives so often in Scripture is follow me. So many times in Scripture when Jesus meets somebody, the command that he gives is to follow me. Because here's the thing. You cannot encounter Jesus. You cannot meet Jesus and remain the same. There's something about an encounter with Jesus that changes us, that calls us to somewhere new, that calls us to somewhere different, that calls us to leave behind where we are and follow him. Jesus is always, 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 always urging his followers, follow me. Follow me to somewhere new. Follow me to somewhere different. Follow me to somewhere life-giving. Follow me. Well, today's first encounter we see is with John the Baptist. Um, many of us here, here, us here this morning have a, have a best friend or have a group of people that we would regard as being best friends. You know, Jesus in his life had a bunch of followers. Uh, when we see in scripture, we see crowds always follow Jesus no matter where he went. And then we see it breaks down from the crowd next to about 200 folks that followed him closely. Then that broke down to the 70. Then that broke down to the 12. Then that broke down to the three of Peter, James, and John. So Jesus was always being followed by people. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. The people that were following Jesus were following him for his teaching and what he did to the feeding of the 5,000. The, the disciples, they were following him because of his, they were his disciples. They were his followers. But like when he was with them, he was never not Jesus. Like 
And what I mean by this is this. He was always the teacher, always the rabbi, always the one teaching him. That was the way the relationship worked. No matter how much he loved them, no matter how close he was to them, no matter how much they walked with him, he was still always their rabbi. And I don't care how much you love your boss, you're going to act different around him than you do your spouse. Unless your spouse is your boss, and then that just gets weird. Um, So Jesus was always Jesus with his followers. But there are two people in Scripture that weren't followers of his, but that were friends. You know, you're honest around your friends. You kick your shoes off around your friends, don't you? You let your hair down around your friends. You put your guard down. And there were really two people in Scripture that Jesus truly let his guard down around. One was Lazarus. Remember that story in the Bible? He goes to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, sees that he's dead. What does Jesus do in the midst of that awful moment? Even though he knew in a matter of minutes he was going to bring Lazarus from the dead, Scripture says Jesus wept. Lazarus home with Mary and Martha and Bethany was kind of a second home for Jesus. Lazarus was more than a follower. Lazarus was a friend. Along with that, John the Baptist. See, John the Baptist and Jesus' friendship began before they were even born. When Mary, Jesus' mother, goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, Scripture says that Elizabeth said that she felt her, her child leap in the womb in the presence of her Lord. So Jesus and John the Baptist were friends for a long time. What's the old saying? Your cousins are your first friends. John the Baptist was his cousin. It's his first friend. And um, their ministries ran parallel to each other. Some biblical scholars think that John and Jesus may have even kind of, kind of worked together at times. Scripture doesn't say that, but it, it is possible. We know that some of John the Baptist's followers became Jesus' followers. So at the very least, their two ministries ran parallel to each other. So they worked together. And in Scripture, you know the Gospels all have different perspectives on Jesus like Matthew was a Jewish tax collector, so he wrote a gospel really directed to, for a Jewish audience. And Luke was a Gentile, so Luke wrote a, wrote a gospel kind of bent towards a Gentile. Mark was writing to a Roman audience. John was answering the why question. That's why the, the, all the gospels read a little differently, because each one of the gospel writers was kind of painting a fuller picture of who Jesus was. But there's one story in the gospels that remains universally in all of them. And that was the death of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist died, it really broke Jesus' heart. Because that was his friend. And it's hard to lose your friend, isn't it? Many of us in our life have lost a friend. And you just know how that pain pierces your heart. Jesus and John the Baptist were close. And John the Baptist was more than just a follower of Jesus. He was a friend. Okay, because here's the deal. That's all well said and good. But like, John the Baptist, he had a good thing going. Like, he was a big deal. 
You had, you had priests from Jerusalem coming out to hear him preach and be baptized. You had people, you had fl- floods of crowds, soldiers and others coming to hear John the Baptist preach. And like John the Baptist, man, he had a good thing going. He even baptized Jesus. I mean, he had a good thing going. And then here comes Jesus. And John's crowd started going down a little bit. And Jesus' crowd starts going up. In fact, some some of John's disciples had even left to go follow Jesus. And so his disciples are like, John, like, what's the, I'm paraphrasing here, what's the deal? Like, this was our our thing. We were doing a good job. We had a good thing going. And here comes this guy, and he's messing it up for us. Like, we had things going great. It was awesome. You ever had a best friend or a friend kind of leapfrog you at work? Maybe a friend can't get a job you wanted or kind of, kind of got it on your market. You're like, really? What's the deal? Really? I thought we were friends. And now you're doing this to me? Why are you doing this? It's kind of where John the Baptist's friends came, where disciples were coming from. What does John say? No. I'm not the Messiah. The bridegroom, the groom, he is the one that has the bride. It is the pleasure of the friend of the bridegroom to stand and enjoy the bridegroom's victory. John's saying, I'm not the Messiah. I'm simply a follower of him. And I must decrease. And he must increase. I don't like those words. I like to be a big deal. I like to do things my way on my schedule as I want. I like to be in charge. It's kind of like the old joke about the little boy who told his mama he wanted to be a preacher like a daddy. He said, how come? She, he said, well, the way I figure it's this. If I've got to go to, got to, go to church, I'd rather talk than listen. It's kind of me. This whole being quiet thing doesn't really work well for me. But John understood one of the overwhelming truths of following Jesus. It wasn't about him. And to follow Jesus means this, that you are not sitting on the throne of your life. And that it's not about you. And that the only true way to peace and life and happiness and joy is for you to de- decrease and him to increase. And if there's anything else, if there's anything else, no matter how good, no matter how noble, no matter how pure it is, anything else in your life that is sitting on the throne of your heart other than Jesus, you will never be happy. You can have all the success in the world, all the money in the world, all the power in the world, everything you can ever want. But if Jesus Christ is not truly sitting on the throne of your heart, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. There will always be one more thing you've got to do, one more thing you've got to conquer, one more thing you've got to have. If Jesus Christ is not on the throne of your heart, life itself will never be enough. 
John understood, I must decrease. It's not about me. And I will never find my true purpose. I will never find my true cause. I will never try find my true identity by living for me and my stuff. I must decrease and he must increase. And in that, in laying down my life and following him, I will find true life. John understood it. It wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. He must, de- I must decrease. And he must increase. That's where following Jesus starts. Is to say, I'm going to follow this guy. I'm going to follow my Lord. I'm going to follow my Savior because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the way to the Father. John knew it. John had a good thing going. It would have been very easy, been very human. But John said, hey, come on. I got my deal here. What are you doing? Come on, Jesus. I thought we were friends. But John understood It wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. I, Andy, I must decrease. And he must increase. My life, my ministry, my church can never be about me. It must always uniformly be about Jesus. Because he is the way, and he is the life, and he is the truth. And no one comes to the Father but through him. For us to truly live, for us to truly find life, for us to truly know purpose, for us to truly know what it means to live, we must decrease. Because as appealing as living for ourselves is, go read Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity. Everything is vanity. But living for Jesus, living completely and totally for Him, that's where life is found. Today, on this first Sunday in Lent, will we decrease? Will we properly orient our lives? Not for us, but for him. Because in Christ, and in Christ alone, we find life. He must increase. May he increase in our life, and may he increase in our church. Let us pray.